This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. This is Everything Elite, the world's best podcast, still the world's best podcast devoted exclusively to all elite wrestling. No imitations will be accepted. I'm Aaron Bentley. I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, Mike Spears. What's up, Mike? Hey, y'all. It's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears. I'm doing all right. It's been kind of a late winter here up in the compound. I have to imagine that. I know that you aren't as much in the mountains as I am, maybe, but I mean, I've been getting like, snow and ice over the last day. So if I seem distracted at any time, it's me making sure that no power lines are coming down. But I'm doing all right. Uh, Big Cat, you're sounding a lot better than I was led to believe before we started recording. Yeah, I've been sick as shit. Um, I have had a miraculous um, comeback today. I hooked up, really. Basically, yesterday, I thought I was getting better. And then I got a lot worse as the day carried on. And so then I got overly serious about my medicine and my rest last night, and it really helped. And so I'm feeling a little better today. Anyway, we're also joined, of course, by Nate, a.k.a. Epitasis. What's up, Nate? What's up? Uh, glad to hear you're feeling better, A.B. Um, I got no no mountain uh, compound-related dispatches here. Um, yeah, but, uh, but yeah, it, it really, so there is a another competing AEW podcast now. Um, and just to the listeners, I would say, would you rather read an authorized biography or an unauthorized biography? I think that's the real question you have to ask yourself there. And uh, we are extremely unauthorized. And on top of all of that, they've threatened to do this before. Like, remember last year, there was talk about like the Brandy cast coming out and that becoming a thing. Where are we at episode 60, baby? We have longevity. We'll see. We'll see who outlasts each other. I'll put that out there. That's right. Okay, well, here, here's the real question, I guess. If we're talking about the true longevity of this podcast. Uh, if you don't know this, our podcast goes up on YouTube every week. So if you're one of those YouTube perverts, you can consume this podcast on YouTube. In fact, there's somebody, there's some YouTube pervert listening to me make these comments right now on YouTube. There's a comment on our most recent episode and i want to get everybody's thoughts on it i can't it's not showing up anymore i don't know if uh our overlord rich Crage hit it but it said get rid of the butt hurt guy but sitting but nothing else so for the longevity of our podcast i would like everybody's thoughts start with you nate who do you think the butt hurt <laughs> guy was on last week's episode that we should get rid of uh i mean my guess would be me because it was my <laughs> comments that seemed to uh, uh, most set off uh, the the squared circle people on Reddit. So my guess would be that I am the butthurt guy. Um, but really, I just uh, a big red flag for me whenever anyone uses the phrase butthurt. Just not not a not a cool timely phrase in the uh, in the contemporary you know uh, lexicon of insults or whatever the fuck. Yeah, that's something that I definitely would have heard in my illustrious Halo esports career. And that was almost 15 years ago. So sorry, pal, get with the times. But 
hey, I am someone who watches a lot of stuff on YouTube, like while I'm working, if I'm not like listening to like a podcast, like there are like a couple, this is going to be real nerd shit. There's a couple like history series on YouTube that I'll pull up and I'll have in the background and listen to because I want to learn about stuff like the hundred year war. And that's what I've been listening to a, a lot lately. Okay. Well, I just, I just thought it was funny in that I really could have, I could hear an argument for any of us being the butthurt guy at any given time. So <laughs> I just thought it was funny. Really enjoyed it. All right. At everything AEW is our Twitter account. I'm at Aaron like the car. Nate is at Epitasis. Mike is at Fuji. Hey, uh, you can find how all those are spelled on the main Twitter account at everything AEW. Make sure you're subscribing, rating and reviewing and checking us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash everything elite. We are going to, of course, talk about everything from last night's episode of Dynamite. We're going to talk about the ratings. We're going to look ahead to Revolution. we got some other news and notes to chat about. But we'll start with Elite or Delete. Nate, get us rolling with uh, your pick for the Elite part of Dynamite now, last night. The Elite Park Park? The Elite part of Dynamite. <laughs> kind of hard to pick anything out here. I guess I'm going to pick the main event just because it was the main event. And in particular in the main event, Mr. Cody Rhodes, the ace of the promotion, your top baby face, your top Western baby face, really, that's currently going, um, you know, maybe outside of Nick Gage. Um, and just fantastic performance in that main event. It's really what you want to see from a, uh, you know, Southern style cage match where he gets blood within like the first, two minutes of the match or something and then sells for the big monster Wardlow and gets his big comeback and finally goes for a crazy dive off the top of the cage in order to get the win and advance to revolution to get his revenge on MJF. Uh, just exactly what you want to see from American pro wrestling storytelling here. Yeah, absolutely. And on top of that, this whole match was pretty much set up exactly how, and like my mind palace, I would want this match to go. You, well, Cody was excellent, and the crowd investment was going to make this something regardless. But I think we got to take a moment and shout out the big man, Mr. Mayhem, the stalwart, the war dog. I'm talking about Wardlow because yesterday was Wardlow Day, everybody, and it didn't disappoint. And I think that's something that really should be noted here because this is a very green guy who has been doing very little in the promotion other than throwing people around and of course choking out Cody with his tie and you put him in a bit the first ever cage match you put him in front of a crowd that was rabid I know that there was talk about the that tickets weren't moving super fast in Atlanta but that crowd looked the uh, uh State Farm Marine I believe it's called looked completely filled they were into the show all night long and Wardlow, you know, like he played his part to perfection. He was able to get like the sympathy that Cody would need in this match. He performed like Sean O'Hare style Swanton Bomb, which was incredible. The F10. He just was, it was a great performance all throughout. Arn Anderson was incredible as a second. MJF was great. We had Brandy back. And I thought that that this, so like all in all, like this was some real like, territory style shit and it worked on every level and it's going to be interesting now because now you have this one last show before revolution how do you 
what's your beat for next week? What are you going to do next? Like, is NJF going to like outrightly try to bait Cody into trying to punch him? Like, is that what's going to happen to there next week? So I thought this was full marks across the board, a exceptional way to do pay off something that I think was pretty difficult to execute. The most impressive thing to me is that they built this very hot main event that they built up over many weeks with a guy no one had ever seen wrestle before, has never been a star anywhere else, has never been anything anywhere else. And they made it not only believable and viable, but real. It worked. I think that says a lot for AEW. And it should, if there were ever any moments over the past few weeks that had lowered your your belief or the, or the goodwill that they had built up, I feel like they bought a lot of it back with this. Yeah, I think that also goes to, uh, and this is a point that I've made a couple of times throughout the podcast, that traditionally the Southern wrestling fans are more willing to give a new face a shot or you know, willing to see what somebody has when they are debuting in a promotion, whereas the fans up north uh, would reject people simply for the reason that they haven't seen them before. It's like, oh, he's got new guys, new talent on our screen. This must be a match that we chant boring at. Uh, didn't get any of that here. Even when I saw Wardlow at Warrior Wrestling, like the crowd was like uh, uh, predisposed to not liking him simply because they didn't know who he was. But here they've done a good job of establishing who Wardlow is without having him wrestle matches. Uh, the, I think the use of that single shot in the lashings that Cody took was a particularly effective way to do that. Just like now Cody's got an issue with this guy, a personal issue with this guy too. And we just see that his his lashes were that much more uh, painful than MJF's. And it really just all came to a head here and paid off well. And I want to shout out that his uh, singlet looks straight out of WCW. So you love to see that look for a classic WCW style heel. Um, yeah, can't, uh, you know, deliver it in every way possible. All right, Mike, your elite pick. I, this is going to be the um, most Mike Spears shit ever. Uh, the tag match fucking rocked it was uh, seeing this omega and page team crystallize over the last month and a half and have them being being like kind of thrown to the wolves with like okay your first defense is against probably the best tag team in the world across the last three years i mean some people might say like oh you know the revival were great but like consistently pentagon jr and Phoenix have been incredible. Whatever they've shown up, they have done incredible work together. And this match was just, it was relentless from the get-go. It was a very simple, it was a very simple laid out match. You had Omega and Paige in control, and then the very long beatdown on Omega. And then it went straight into a, where they kicked into that last gear for, holy shit. I mean, I'm still thinking about the Taharis that, uh, phoenix dead to the floor as like one of the more like crazy fluid things that he is someone that doesn't always do like your 630s or your imploding star presses or just like crazy acrobatics like the gymnastic side of high flying but he's so crisp and he is so he 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 it looks like when he jumps up in the air for these kind of things he jumps up a foot taller than everyone else he looks like when he does did like the torneo before the penta driller that he got another turn into his corkscrew and i thought that they really did a smart job of going like okay omega and page are still a team in the process of figuring everything out 
there was the moment where Paige clocked Omega with the buckshot lariat. And, you know, things aren't like silky smooth with them. And you contrast that with a team that's been tag teaming. I, I hate the trope of, oh, they've been teammates their entire life, but pretty much their entire career, they've been doing tag teams in various for- fashions with each other. And that perfectly plays into now this match that's happening at Revolution where Omega and Paige go against the Young Bucks, where it's like, okay, yes, Phoenix and Penta Jr., sometimes they, they, they've they been apart in the really last few years, the crystallized. Buddy, if you want to talk about a team of teamwork, you're going to get the Young Bucks coming up. And for a division that I felt like was pretty cold for a long time, these are the kind of matches I want to see out of it. I like these kind of tag team matches. And I just, like, like looking back at this show, I like this match more than the main event. I'm looking at, like, my notes on this. This was just an incredible show and had different moments throughout the show where you could have a move like Phoenix's to Harris. And you just it just takes your breath away for a second. You're like, I just saw something that is just flipping insane. So I just love this match. I just wanted to gush about it for about a couple of minutes. Yeah, to me, Omega and Paige is the best thing in the promotion and has been for most of its run, uh, most of the run of this tag team. It's like they deliver these great matches every time out. They are two of the biggest stars. So when you put them together, it's like the crowd goes crazy for it. And it delivers something that you weren't getting on television, which were these matches with these like, not just the star power, but with the big spots and the stuff for the crowd to really sink its teeth into. So it's something that's been sorely needed and they've delivered on it. So uh, this this tag team, I just love it. I, I hope this reign lasts a long time. We'll see if that's what's about to happen. I wasn't like super blow away high on this match, but I do. But it was uh, you know uh, a very strong match. I wanted to shout out the Lucha Brothers and their heat segment. And like the different energy they sort of brought to this match, there's like a real sense of like uncontrollability when they're in there, especially because they just flaunt the rules and break them all the time. And JR gets mad that they're not tagging out on commentary or whatever, or that they're not abiding by the 10 second rule. And like Phoenix and Pentagon just don't care. And they're just going to be in the ring as much as they want or run in and out of the ring as much as they want. And, you know, they're not ideally suited to play heels because they're too cool and the crowd likes them too much, but their performance as heels is fun in that way. Cause it just seems like they don't give a fuck. They're going to do whatever Rudo shit they want. And you know, uh, just if the, if the impulse strikes them to jump out of the ring onto a guy at any given moment, they're just going to do it and, and not give a fuck. And I think that's like such an interesting contrast between a team that's kind of getting their act together to have like this, chaotic unrelenting t- team for their first offense after we had seu teams matches in their reign which was by and large i feel like the benefit of hindsight we say it was fine like there were some matches that were decent in it there wasn't anything i would say to this level during their tag team title reign and then we're getting like this like this tag team of page and omega so interesting like aaron said because we're seeing two of the biggest stars in the promotion learn to be a tag team together and I think that's so interesting. And I'm kind of harping on this point, but it just it makes the matches more compelling because it's something you don't see that often. It's a tag team finally get together. I mean, the only thing I can think about in recent history was the bar in WWE. And that just was like rambling one day they decided to make them into a tag team after having an 
an unconscionably long feud. But this one is like, hey, we were part of the overall same group. We're now teaming together. Hey, this is actually starting to work out. And they catch fire and they win the titles. Now they have to go against the would-be like stars of the tag team division. I think that's a really interesting storyline and different from a lot of stuff that goes on in wrestling. And I think that this is the treatment that this tag team division needs. Speaking of giving divisions new treatments, my elite pick for the week was the Nyla Rose promo. Not only did I think it was an excellent promo, like a really good heel promo, some might say the first really good heel promo in the women's division, but more importantly, it set up this division. One might say the first really good heel promotion. It set up a totally new scenario for this division. It gives this division some real heat, some real something for people to get worked up about and to chase her. I mean, she's laying out, you know, I'm going to be the one-time champion because nobody's ever going to beat me. And she feels substantive. She feels like something that's like a real, uh, (laughs) I don't want to say roadblock, but roadblock uh, in the way for the rest of this division. And that's new and exciting and, and makes me get, interested in this division all over again. So uh, that's my pick. Yeah, I thought it was a really good promo. We've talked about how they kind of booked the division backwards because you started with with the scrappy underdog winning the title from the monster in the first place and then like flipping it for the second title reign. Um, But yeah, this is, I guess, where it really should have been uh, in the first place, I think, if we want to anoint or crown someone by having them eventually climb and claw their way up to getting a win over Nyla Rose. What I especially liked about the promo and her performance was she was out there and being very, uh, you know, forceful and powerful in her delivery and in a good sort of way that you would want a dominant heel to be. But there was just something about her tone or um, her, 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 her emoting or something that like you could tell she was still like a little bit mad or had like a chip on her shoulder or like still felt disrespected or still just felt a little insecure in that way that kind of made her seem more dangerous or more aggrieved. And that I think uh, enhanced the delivery of it a lot. Yeah. She showed some swagger and like aggrievement that I think added a little bit to it. I've been someone that ever since I had the opportunity to do press with Nyla, I think the first thing I said is she has the charisma. Like she is someone that like has the natural charisma and makes stuff like this work. And this, promo was just kind of like hey we're we're now fully behind you just make it work and she knocked out of the park and i'm someone that when i like watch promotions and when i really study promotions i like seeing how people develop as wrestlers I like to see their progression i feel like that that's some of the most uh, rewarding things in wrestling is when you find someone when they turn out to be your wrestler and you see them progress through this but seeing uh, Statlander and Big Swole on stage next to her as Nyla was already having like this coronation moment and you had Swole get right up into her face and as someone that I've been like I think Swole could be a future star I think she could really do it and she's been improving and she's been growing and the fact that like this could have very easily been a segment where the two of them could have gotten eaten up by just like the sheer charisma of Nyla I thought that Big Swole in her part was great and I thought that Chris Statlander for someone who's really been adrift since they did away with the nightmare collective. Like no one's been in worse straits out of a regular roster member in this promotion than Chris Statlander because of the dropping of the nightmare collective. And now they've 
built her back up. She's she's on now a two match winning streak, and she still has a claim to a title shot because of what happened in her title match against Rio. I thought like that that was a very strong way of booking for a division where I think I said like last week, it's like I wonder what they're going to be doing now because they don't have a lot of time before they're before Revolution, and now we're greatly set up in a way that. Could there be a Swole versus Statlander match next week to set this up? Could it just be a full-on three-way dance match? Like, there's a lot of possibilities here that I find pretty intriguing. Two uh, details that I also enjoyed. I liked Big Swole came out and just sort of, like, sauntered in the background. Like, she didn't just come out and be like, I'm going to come stand on my spot now and do my promo. Like, she just, like, wandered around the background and made her presence known before she came up to Nyla, which was neat. Uh, and the boop, Chris Statlander did a boop. Of course, I was proven correct that the boop is good. The boop is getting hugely over. Superstar boop. Uh, and she comes out, but does not boop Nyla on the nose. She boops the title belt. Just a good little detail to like ground the segment. Like, yeah, you know, she says she's an alien or whatever, but she's out here because she is trying to win this title belt and be the champion. All right. Well, give us what you didn't like. Your delete pick of the week. My delete pick of the week. I guess I'm going to say putting heels on commentary that just like shit on stuff this is uh i don't know i think i i have an allergy to this because the wwe it's very reminiscent of wwe commentary and i basically just get uh you know people trying to get digs in on the other commentators and shit in this episode they did with Britt baker uh it was a better performance than her initial commentary performance however many money months back that was uh when she just seemed to have no personality whatsoever uh, and this one, we got more of that heelish personality. Of course, I uh, have praised her heel turn at length on this show. But I don't know. It, it's the same issue they ran into Brandy, ran into with Brandy. It's the same thing that plagues like all WWE commentary. It's like they go out and the commentary becomes less about the angle and the story and more about getting the heel over by just having them do like juvenile little digs or like assert their dominance over the commentators by talking over them and shit. And I just, I don't like that trope in general. It just was something that I felt like there was the, the, the moment where like she threw out a line about, I, I forget what move it was specifically, but it was like, Oh, 33% of jaw fractures come from like a, a, a blunt force trauma to the mouth. I was like, okay. Instead of like leaning into what I've called the, uh, can I ask your manager heel, which is something that I felt found pretty interesting about her. Just like the dentist, like kind of things made it kind of hokey. I did think that the, the, the chemistry that she's now started to develop with Tony Schiavone, which was such a central part of uh, heels and WCW and, and in NWA where the interaction there, I, I think that's been solid, but like in this, it just was kind of distracting from a match where like, this was the first time that Sean has been on TV since she lost the tables match against Nyla. This is the first time that Chris Statlander was on TV since the whole Nightmare Collective snafu in Miami. And it just was in this situation, like I totally get how WWE for Nate has completely killed the idea of the heel on commentary. But at the same time, like we had like Jericho on commentary with Sammy before and it was fine, but just like did not work here that well. Yeah, but Jericho doesn't do the thing where he just talks, goes after the other commentators or whatever. He always talks about getting his guys over or getting the match over or getting the angle over. I do like 
the the Brit and Tony dynamic is kind of funny because they're like fake friends or she pretends to be friends with them, even though she's like destroying him all the time. Like last week she came out and like gave him a hug before destroying him. And this week, like they had the best rapport of anyone else. Like she was angrier at the other commentators. That part of it did amuse me. But yeah, I'm I'm kind of over it in general. Well, it's just a bad idea because uh, I will accept for a second, even though I disagree that that it was that Brit was good last week. Let's pretend for a second that's true. But then you put her in a situation where she's likely to fail because it's just not what she's strongest at on this this commentary thing. I mean, they do great pre-tapes in this company. Give her a pre-tape. Put her up at the top of the fucking stage with Tony again. You know, do something else besides having her talk for a 15-minute match or whatever. It's just not a good idea. So I just think they hung her out to dry. Yeah, but speaking about pre-tapes, A.B., that reminds me of what my delete for this week's going to be. So unless y'all have anything else to add on about the commentary thing, I'm go ahead. I like that they are using some of the stuff from Road 2, the YouTube series, on TV. Because often the sit-down stuff is the more interesting stuff. Just like how Aaron just said, like talking about the things that they do with these pre-tapes. But it, it was one of those things that I noticed this week when on AEW Light, I was recapping Road to Atlanta that this was a six minute show that basically had three like music video promo reels and they just threw them right on TV. And for, I guess maybe for like new viewers, it's important to kind of set the stage for that. But having these on TV at, at like weird times almost because you had, you had the Nyla one leading right into the Nyla promo right after the, uh, women's match which i guess like if seeing how they have treated the women's division that was the block for the woman last night which is kind of frustrating it just was something that it just like reusing it made it feel like the other properties that they've built up aren't as important and especially since this is going at least to their literal hometown of their ace and the spiritual hometown of the promotion having like all this build up for it and just repeating it on tv i found like was pretty frustrating but i also admit that this might be nitpicky of me yeah i think it's fair i mean i can see it either way really it's like on one hand for people like us who watch all this shit it's like i've already seen this and for but there's of the whatever nine hundred thousand people who watch this we know that at most what two hundred thousand had seen the these videos before so hard to complain also like the, not putting this stuff on TV has been a very common critique. So, <laughs> right. you know, we have to find the balance, but very strong episodes. So pretty hard to find stuff to lead on here. Yeah. I've, I've got a very, I don't know how nitpicky it is, but it's vaguely nitpicky. And I complained about this a little bit last week, but I just, as much as I love what you were talking about earlier, Mike, some of the story behind the Omega page and young bucks match that we're going to get, I really just haven't liked the, interpersonal interactions between the characters. I don't think that has really furthered in any real way. Like I enjoy the thing with hangman trying to give tips on how people could beat the bucks in the, in the battle Royal, but of course, and they could have stretched it out. Could that be because he's afraid of facing the bucks or could it be that he's mad at them for some reason? You know, and that's why he doesn't, doesn't want it, but we have really no advancement of like how Kenny feels about this, uh, the the dissension between the two groups. We got nothing on that. So I don't know. I would just like to see some more out of this. And we only got one week left. So 
like Nate said, this was a really good episode, so it's hard to pick much, but that is a way that you could have improved this episode and this story, this build overall. And that's entirely fair, I feel like, just because with how this thing has been built up, now that we can, we're almost at a point now where we can just plot out what what's happened each week, we don't really have motivations here. We do have the idea that the that I think it was Matt Jackson last week said like, oh, I think I know why you're being such an asshole. And it was about him hangman drinking all the time. But really, like, what is Kenny Omega's thing? And then, of course, next week, Kenny Omega has his other feud going on with Pac right now. So it's just like, this should be like a big moment, not only in the, the promotion, but also in the storyline of the overall Elite Extended Universe about the, these two teams colliding, especially with how it's been built up since All Out. And it feels like it's almost a little bit of a disservice that maybe piggybacking on, on your thing here, AB, maybe they could have used this time that they repeated stuff, which I did look up. 64,000 people have watched Road to Atlanta. Just so that's basically nobody, <laughs> basically, basically just people like me. So I feel like that they really could be developing this because this is a big match. Like this is a match that in the canon of the promotion and the canon of the uh, faction is just a, I mean, this is like the second like big breakup that could be happening after the whole like golden lovers versus uh, young bucks and the whole Cody thing. So I feel like that there's things here that are leaving on the table that if they're going to build up the match the way it deserves, they could be doing more. So I get your frustration. So I think we've, we've probably devoted more time to this as an issue than it actually uh, warrants because it, it is nitpicky. But I do think the Kenny part of it is underdeveloped. Like I get the page part of it makes all the sense in the world to me because we saw all this frustrations build with, you know, coming out of the gate slow in the promotion, uh, not being an executive vice president like all of his friends in the elite, um, you know, losing to Jericho, et cetera. Uh, and, and that all you know, uh, uh, follows naturally to him chafing against the rest of the guys in the elite. But Kenny really here is, uh, you know, the cowrie to Pang's Haruka and uh, 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 Paige's Haruka and uh, the rest of the elites Rosako, right? So, <laughs> yes, uh, and that's just underdeveloped. He's not getting enough camera time. We're not seeing, you know, does it, it, he seems very sympathetic to, to Paige's gripes or you know page saying hey man we're wrestling them like you know don't be drinking their coffee and shit but then he still wants to be there for his friends and it's just a little bit that that conflict with him that i think is un, is undeveloped underdeveloped uh much like you know cowrie just doesn't get enough screen time on these first eight episodes of terrace house so wow very strong i like that i like the tie in there see and if we'd already done the the patreon terrace house content this would be an excellent segue but I don't have a segue. So, well, no, on the Patreon Q&A this week. So patreon.com slash everything elite. Go check it out. We got three tiers, $3, $5, $8. Uh, I, I firmly believe the $5 tier is the, the best value in all of pro wrestling podcasting. So go check it out. This week, Patreon Q&A, we took questions from all our patrons. And, boy, we covered a lot of ground. There was some Terrace House talk. We There was a lot of... It was mostly AEW talk. I think most of the questions related to AEW, and we got to go in depth on some stuff we haven't really had time to talk about on the show. So it was a lot of fun. It also killed me. I uh, became sick almost immediately afterward. I thought it might be the last 
podcast I would ever do. So uh, just in case I'm just like, this is like my, you know, that thing where somebody's about to die and they have that like one good day and then it's over after that. This could be that one good day for me. You, you know so, what that's called? It's called a dead cat bounce. There you go. This could be my dead cat bounce show. <laughs> so my is, that point a, being, is that a Southern fried Mike Spears? It, <laughs> that's a, a real thing. That's no, a real thing. no, that's okay. legitimately a real thing, especially like in business, like the what idea. Was, of, what, was the, what was the food stuff that you were talking about? in new york funeral funeral casserole funeral potatoes that that i don't know about that's midwest though that's not southern i'm I'm not from there that's that's ohio ass shit man but But it's a real thing where where somebody's like that doubt it just it's new to me yeah somebody's going really downhill and then they have that day and you're like oh you know grandpa's doing real well and then the next day grandpa's dead you know that cat bounce anyway next week Mike's going to be hitting us with a new episode of Breaking Strong Hearts. And let me tell you, somebody replied to our Twitter recently to say that Breaking Strong Hearts, the first episode of Breaking Strong Hearts, and there's already been two, that alone was worth their $5 subscription. So these are great shows. Yeah, so this episode is going to be a little bit different. Breaking Strong Hearts has kind of been me breaking my usual podcast mold. Breaking, what, what did I say? <laughs> nothing sorry oh Go sorry <laughs> you, you threw me off right in the middle of the head the big pitch man god damn uh so it, it, it's me doing my kind of exploratory stuff with podcasting and wrestling podcasts the first episode was with case low and we talked about one day in wrestling history at least towards owe and this next episode it's going to be a little bit more of a looser episode i have some big stuff that i want to do for this series and the future is just not necessarily all that came together there. So I'm really looking forward to it. And if you want more Terrace House talk, I've constantly have heard the need of an everything Terrace House podcast. Maybe in the future, we'll get this underway. There are big things afoot in Terrace House currently that I can't wait to talk about with these guys when they get to those points. So the Patreon yeah. of, I know that I have a feeling Nate's going to talk about what's coming on later this month with the Patreon. And that is the, our live reaction to revolution. That's going to be on the 29th. It'll probably be on the first. So if you're someone that is going like, okay, I need to figure out when to subscribe to it. Probably just probably subscribe on March 1st, because we'll be doing it the night of the show. And then the next day will be the first day of March. So a lot of big content coming your way on the Patreon. Yeah. We do AW light every week. And uh, I'll be doing stardom status soon, which is going to be an easy one because they canceled a month of shows, but I've, I'm behind because I've been sick. So I'll do it. All right. Patreon.com slash everything elite ratings. Ratings came out today. Another boring edition of the ratings. Uh, 0.31 in the demo for AW, 893,000. They were up in total viewers by about 70 some thousand, but up from 10th to 5th. In the demo, that was pretty good. NXT also up a little bit, 794 from 757, up to 16th in the demo from 21st, and up a 0.01 in the demo from 0.24 to 0.25. Yep, there was the uh, U.S. Democratic debate last night. They got 18 million people. So the fact that this is the, I feel like I say this once a month, the biggest episode of Diamond they had, and this is what they got. You know, maybe that dashed some of it. And no NBA this week. There was a big Duke game on ESPN. So, you know, uh, I'm still interested to see if 
or what it's going to take in the situation from the break a million viewers again. We talked on the Patreon Q&A about what Bernie Sanders would do if he came on Dynamite. And obviously he's a big draw. Uh, so I think they should consider that. They should consider the booking plans that we had on the Patreon Q&A. And we also compared every Democratic presidential candidate to AEW wrestlers. So I don't know. This is just another way for me to pitch the Patreon, really. Yeah, I have no takes except, you know, it. It's good that the show went up considering how much time they've been building to and promoting this show. Like if this show had been down, despite the fact that there was, you know, a big cultural event going on on television, uh, that would have been a disappointment. So at least they can hang their hat on that. Like, hey, we built a big show in a major market with a big story match on top. And wouldn't you know it, the rating and the viewers went up. All right, let's get into the full rundown from the show on Wednesday night. The Young Bucks won the tag team battle royal. Matt Jackson was the final survivor. This was, well, I guess, so the last five were Santana and Ortiz, the Butcher, Trent, and Matt. So then you kind of had those, the, the heels and the baby faces uh, off against each other. And then uh, we got rid of the Butcher and Trent. We just had Santana, Ortiz, and Matt. And Matt ultimately cleared out the ring, including... Sammy Guevara, who took one of the best fucking bumps I've maybe ever seen. I just loved it. Uh, when he he catapulted in, Matt gave him a a super kick and he died. And uh, then Matt won and just a great babyface comeback win. Uh, it was just a beautiful piece of pro wrestling. Yeah, they book really good battle royals in this promotion, with the exception of, of course, the terrible casino battle royale at Double or Nothing. Um, which was terrible. But other than that one, like, you know, even going back to the all in battle Royal, they do a good job of there being good opportunities for everybody to get a little bit of shine in, except maybe T Hawk here. Um, I'm sure Mike was upset about T Hawk's treatment, but you know, the, the, the little bits of shine that everybody else got and the little ways that they were able to build some feuds and stuff in here were great. It seems like they were building something between the, Butcher and the Blade and the Best Friends with Allie attacking Orange Cassidy on the outside. Um, and I don't know, you know, uh, you guys or AB especially was concerned about the Butcher and the Blade being minimized, I think, but they had a pretty strong showing here. Yeah, I am a little bit sad about Sweet T-Hawk on his cable United States debut being pretty much non-factor, but that was a swage when I saw that when Shima was eliminated, there was a thing about him taking a creeper mask and looking kind of perplexed. And that seems to be something they might be doing. Like another thing with the dark order with strong hearts, which, Hey, if it's going to get strong hearts on TV, I'm totally okay with that. I know that AB is a, is a dark order defender. So he's just going to be happy that there's even more dark, dark order going on here. But yeah, they did a great job of, I, I feel like a problem with a lot of battle Royals are that, other than like the last and the big moments between like the final five and the final three, which felt like certain things, there was stuff going on here the entire time. It was Dark Order was able to distract SEU when they had their spokesperson come out. And then they did a very obvious tease now, which makes me believe it's a red herring that Raven was there. They did some Trent and Orange Cat. Trent was saved by Orange Cassidy. There was some uh, Jurassic Express stuff going on there. So I feel like that this was just like a very well done battle royal. And I was also very happy that they were very clear about the rules of this battle royal from the front saying both members had to be eliminated for this to happen. So it wasn't just like some complete, I uh, hate to go 
LOL TNA, but like something you'd see on TNA where it's like, oh no, your tag team partner got eliminated. Time for you to leave the ring as well. So I felt like that this was just a success across the board. Yeah, I loved how they set up the hierarchy of the tag division in this battle royal. Like, yes, I hated to see T-Hawk and Shima kind of tossed out pretty quickly, but frankly, they're at the bottom of this division at this point. We saw the hybrid two kind of get kicked out early in the match. We saw the SCU Dark Order thing get dealt with early in the match because that's lower on the card than some of the other stuff. And it builds up to the bigger acts in the division. So I thought that was pretty brilliant and well done. I think there was maybe a little too much shenanigans on the outside. Like, not really sure you should just be able to, the more people you have that are your friends, are the more people you can put around the ring. And so you can never get thrown out and you can interfere. I mean, that was getting a little silly. But ultimately, the magic of the match won me over to where I was like, okay, that's fine. I, I can deal with that. So overall, I liked it. It was for, it was foreseeable what was about to happen with, with one of the Young Bucks, you know, having this big comeback and, and winning in the end. And uh, especially with the Dark Order, or not the Dark Order, the Inner Circle kind of outnumbering uh, them. But it was still like, yeah, that's what pro wrestling is. And they, they did it really well. Yeah, you, what you want to see is like valiant baby faces, um, you know, showing that they have the fortitude to come back and and do the right thing and win in the end. And they give baby faces a lot of good fire on this promotion. But yeah, that is that's one of my ongoing issues. Like, I guess maybe just with contemporary pro wrestling is like it's a battle royal, so they say there's no DQ, but that's like dumb. Like that just kind of exposes the whole thing. Like you know, everybody you know. There's enough like surrealism or, or or modernism in the in the product that that's obvious anyway. But like, why doesn't the Dark Order just come out with the 15 guys they brought from the Bronx to come out here and eliminate everybody and give Santana and Ortiz the win? Like, it's a little silly. Just like if somebody interferes on somebody's behalf, if if Sammy Guevara gets in the ring and starts throwing people out, the ref should just have the discretion to say. Your friends with uh, Santana and Ortiz, they're disqualified now. Like that should be within the realm of possibility, and it just makes more sense. I agree. All right, Chris Statlander defeated Shanna with the Big Bang Theory. It was nice to see both these people back. I mean, Mike talked about how they both kind of have been gone for a little while. I was happy to see them both back, although I don't know that this was a great match, but uh, it was. It's good to see a, a little kind of different focus in the women's division going forward. I think uh, uh, Shanna is like one of the more underrated workers, especially in the women's division. Yeah, I was watching this and I was thinking, what a great signing Shanna was. She doesn't have to be the champion ever, but she's really good. You can put her in, in there with just about anybody. Yeah, and this was a different kind of style of match than most of the women's matches they've had. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And I know I've talked, I think I talked about this on the uh, the uh, mailbag, but I like seeing some more ver variety in the women's division and the kind of styles that you see here. So I, I, I maybe was a little bit higher on this than you were, A.B. I like this. I like this other though. It felt like it was like window dressing for Britt being a heel on commentary. I felt really bad during the show, so... When anything started to drag for like 30 seconds, I was like, fuck this. <laughs> you know, so uh, I, I think what you were saying earlier about where they're going to go with Nyla here for the pay-per-view is interesting. I still think that it's Yuka Sakazaki, even though there was nothing hinted at about that on this episode. 
Uh, I think, I mean, Chris to me is the one who should ultimately beat Nyla, but it should be a long time from now. So I hope they don't do Chris and Nyla at Revolution. I think that'd be too early for that match. I think you could do it and have her rebuild herself across time. I mean, they did it with Nyla, so it might be Nyla, so it might be a little bit too repeating the same thing too soon. But I feel like that it's something that, that I mean, like they've had Statlander take losses before. So I'm not too worried about that. I wonder when slash if we see Riho again. Like she was not mentioned in Nyla's promo really whatsoever. You just wonder, like, did she reach the end of that tryout period? And she's just like, I don't feel like flying to the United States three times a month anymore. I don't know. We did see her, like, a lot less over the last little bit. But the tryout period was, was supposed to be, like, five matches, wasn't it? So right. She definitely did more than that. At least I think so. I don't know. That'd be a bummer. I mean, I think she's – that'd be surprising considering how big of a star she became. Yeah, just really like it seems stark that it was like, okay, now the Nala Rosera starts and, you know, it, it could be two weeks before we see Riho again or it could be six months. Like no no sign of her whatsoever. Yeah, well, I think you, you definitely got to figure out something new to do with her, although it's been established in this promotion that there's a fucking rematch clause. So we uh, presumably will get another Nyla Rose-Riho match. And there's kind of an informal rubber match clause. So that would be the rubber match between them as well. They should just run that at Revolution. We got a, we did get a repeat of the Nyla Riho video from the road too, as, as Mike was talking about earlier. And this led to the Nyla interview with Tony Schiavone, which we've talked about. Uh, but anything else you all want to comment on about that stand up? No, but I do want to amend my previous statement. I think it's good that they just like Nyla, they didn't, you know, bring out uh, or they didn't bring up Riho or is a possible, you know, contender or say, you know, there's going to be another rematch there or whatever, uh, because the, the rematch clause is stupid, of course, but also just like lets the Nyla Rose reign start definitively. Like she runs the division now. And if Riho comes back in, you know, uh, two months or whatever, or four months or, uh, and, and makes like a big return, that's going to mean more at the time too. I've always been in favor of rotating people in and out and giving people different amounts of focus depending on what you're doing with them. Uh, so I don't want to make it sound like I thought that was a negative. Well, she's not doing anything in Japan right now, so she's got plenty of free time. John Moxley defeated Jeff Cobb. He uh, hooked Cobb's leg after kind of like rolling through Cobb's superplex. I uh, really enjoyed Taz on commentary in this match. They brought him out like specially for it because he's the suplex master or whatever. And this was really enhanced by that, I thought. It just seemed like more of a wrestling scientific contest, even though like Jeff Cobb is out there as a mercenary as part of this big uh, you know, sports entertainment angle or whatever. Um, I really thought he, he meshed well with the commentary desk here. I was This was probably my least favorite part of the night, other than me being getting up in my dander about the reusing videos. I just like, we knew that Jeff Cobb was going to be a short term thing and we didn't know what exactly the situation is because he's a full on freelancer. So he was treated like such a big deal. And I did think that Moxley and Cobb had some fun chemistry. Like I Moxley deciding eventually to go for Cobb's leg and that being worked into the match. It just was something that I guess it's just that Jeff Cobb is someone that, is as i've said before kind of like a decreasing returns thing and maybe i've seen way too much jeff cobb 
because if I was like a new viewer and I watched the show and if I was going to say, okay, there's two big debuts this night, there was Jeff Cobb and Wardlow. I would come out miles more impressed with Wardlow than I would with Jeff Cobb. So it just was like a match that I love the post-match stuff when we get to that, but just like the match itself was kind of underwhelming for me. I think it's interesting how much they protected Jeff Cobb, considering that the assumption is we'll never see him again, or at least we're not going to see him in the near future in AEW. But they, and maybe it's just that they're doing business and they're thinking, all right, let's protect this guy to show him that we'll take care of him if he wants to come back. But they, you know, he doesn't have to take Mox's finish. He basically gets a banana peel loss here. Just big time protection for for Jeff Cobb. In a, I object the banana peel. This guy's just like a Moxley for a title match. So it's kind of wild. It was a skill based win, not a banana peel. Okay. You know, he sure. didn't. He didn't have a monitor blow up in his face or anything like that. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, and also I I think it that was a smart choice because the narrative had been that they were building him up as a monster. Like this is Chris Jericho's monster mercenary. Like this guy's tough as fuck. If you say that and then Moxley comes out and drops him on his head and beats him in two minutes, like that kind of undercuts the story you're telling. You know, I guess the idea is, oh, it makes Moxley look super strong because he killed this monster. But in actuality, I think it kind of works against you. It's like, damn, I would have liked to have seen that match or, you know, something to that effect. So I think that's consistent with what they were trying to, the story they were trying to tell with the Jeff Cobb appearance. After the match, the inner circle, they just run in immediately and start beating up Moxley. Dustin Rhodes comes out to save him, uh, and he kind of pairs off with Hager, which got a huge reaction in the building. I don't know. You're, you, you say that, and you tweeted that as though you're <laughs> winning a point on me. Yes, I am. I, you're not, because I, I have am. said from the beginning, it's been very well built, and it's been getting big reactions, and they're doing it all very well. Okay. The issue is the match is going to suck. <laughs> no, here's here's my point. Last yeah, week, there's an easy counterpoint to my point. By the way, you just say, "But Nate, work rate, work rate is fake. Matches don't matter." That's and then you have me dead to rights. But you haven't come <laughs> up with that for some reason. No. Well, here's my point. Because I want to win on my own terms. Okay. Because here's my point. Last week, you all are giving me shit because I said it got a huge reaction. You said, "Well, yeah, they're in Texas, and Dustin's from Texas," and I said, "That's the point of TV." You get him this big reaction where you know you can get it, and it will filter down to the rest of the crowd, and that's what happened here. I, I think you're you're arguing against arguments we weren't making. I think yeah, that's you all them, said that. Do no, not gaslight no. me. I'm not gaslighting. Do not. You. First of all, first of all, Mike said that. Play the tape. Second of all, that, that's just that's in line with what I said. They're building the feud very well. It's yeah, all structured very well. They're doing things at the right time to set it up to get big reactions. These are all good things about it but none of which are contrary to the fact that he got a big reaction coming out here that's uh exactly in line with what they've been doing it's the match is gonna stink and it shouldn't be it's not a pay-per-view level match Match and is I'll gonna be good i can't wait to come on here after this match oh i can't wait for the oh, man. If, this, if this match is I good can't wait if this match is good I, <laughs> we got to put some stakes on this or something, yeah yeah there's just no way i i'll say this it's kind of hard not to get a big reaction. We're coming down to save John Moxley on this program. Compare that, compare that reaction to the reaction that Darby Allen got later. That segment coming down for the ultimate save the real superstar. Yeah. He's a bigger star. There's no question about that. Nobody's arguing that Michael. 
<laughs> You're the person that said like, oh, it's only because he was in Texas, Terry, and take my argument from last You're week and applying it here. I, I, I'm just saying the reaction for this was levels of magnitude lower than what you're building up to comparatively to things that happen in this very segment. I think you're overstating the reaction. No, I'm not because we're not. <laughs> Darby is a main eventer in this promotion. Darby is a big deal. I'm talking about a little mid card match that's over. And it was, and it got that level of a reaction on this. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying that it's that they should put it on last and put the and strip Jericho the title and put the fucking title above the ring and whoever gets it as the new champion. That would be funny to see, actually. Um, Darby, let's talk about Darby. Darby comes out to Superstar with the skateboard, does a bunch of skateboard fighting. If I was, wait, hold on, I'm I'm sorry. Can we just talk first? So we're chronological here. Can we talk about Darby skating? down the ramp again a great shot of it he looks awesome he's got his nipples out i mean this was so fucking cool i mean i i I do take issue with using the blackout just overdoing the blackout yeah sure but i'm not really you know oh you do a blackout why do you do play the music and have him at the top of the ramp just i don't know it worked you can't really take fault with it but yeah came out superstar superstar reaction uh and then if I, like i was gonna say if i were like eight or nine years old watching this and this guy came out here and started beating people up with a skateboard i would have thought that was the coolest fucking shit i would have thrown away my teenage mutant ninja turtles toys and i would have gone to buy a new darby allen action figure because i would have thought he was the coolest guy on the planet absolutely tag team match was next we talked about this at at real length but omega and hangman page defeated the lucha brothers uh, Page pin Phoenix after they hit the uh, buckshot V trigger, which this was a very cool finish, by the way. Like they had a little botch right there toward the end, but I thought this came across really well. After the match, uh, the Bucks came out to congratulate and, of course, to set up their match for Revolution. They kind of had a little bit of a tug of war over Omega, and then Page exited through the crowd. And then, speaking of action figures, we have the announcement that the action figures we talked about couple episodes ago are, are real we saw cody's action figure we saw brandy's action figure i didn't see a darby action figure but uh there should be one in time pretty decent looking action figures i haven't been in yeah, they look good i haven't been like one of the people about action figures after i i grew out of action figure phase but i thought these looked pretty solid i knew a lot of people were kind of skeptical of the quality of these action figures but i thought everyone looked really cool i liked how they had a, a the Kenny Omega one. There was a moment about Kenny saying like, "Hey, you got my favorite set of ring gear." I didn't know if that would happen. Kenny, you probably were the person who sent them the photo of make this off of this. Don't, don't. Well, once they come out, we'll have to talk with uh, everything elite's official action figure correspondent Aaron Quinn to see what she thinks about them. I know she's a big figurehead, so we'll see. I'll be interested to get her thoughts on uh, the AEW action figures. I'm waiting for the AEW Amiibo myself. <laughs> we saw the uh, Cody MJF video that was on Road 2. And then it was time for the main event, the big cage match. Cody defeated Wardlow by a moonsault from the top of the cage that Wardlow did not catch. Oh, he did a pretty good job catching him, I think. Oh, I you don't can't think You so. can't take that chest to chest from that height. Yeah, like, you, you, you got to catch him like 
Uh, I mean, he did a better job than Road Dog catching Cody, right? <laughs> you can agree on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, sure. Usually, when you like, I understand AB that you don't like Dragon Gate, but usually, like when you base like for like a moonsault like this, you take it from the side of your shoulder down. You don't. Well, you, you don't, don't just take it from your fucking arm, which is what Wardlow did. He didn't. The, have you seen how big his his uh, pecs are? That was there was a lot of pec action there, a lot of pecs and lats in that catch. Like that was a decent base. Especially I was going to put over his catch. Yeah, especially yeah. considering that Cody did it without looking back, right. without pausing for a second. He got up there and immediately jumped the fuck off, whether Wardlow was ready or not. <laughs> King shit right there. King shit. Uh, one thing, the cage looked awesome. They said it was six tons, but it had like a whole bunch of truss on it that made it look like that. The one thing in the future, latch it or rope it to like the bottom of a turnbuckle, like the turnbuckle post, just because like it just looked like like when Cody was thrown into it, like he kind of like slid down and the cage was like shaking in a weird way because of the height. But I thought this cage, other than this, I thought they built a cage that when they said it was 20 feet tall, I was like, probably not 20 feet, but close enough to make it not seem preposterous for you saying that. Seemed very tall. And and yeah, I have to imagine they do something with those cage sides after having the executive vice president be the first guy to, to try it out here. Cause I think this is all during the ad break. They did one good spot with it where, you know, Wardlow threw him into the cage and then Cody started slipping between the cage and the apron. It was sort of like almost hung in a tree of woe on the outside of it. And Wardlow just took the cage and started pushing and pulling it and slamming against him as he was like trapped against the outside of the apron. But then he also did a, threw Cody in a power bomb into the cage and Cody takes the bump. And then because the cage is not like secure to the edge of the ring, the cage comes out. Cody, you know, begins to fall and he lands basically on, I think his, his shins or his knees right on the edge of the apron. And it looked, it looked like the worst fucking bump, like on the television to this point, like it looked unbelievably uh, painful and uncomfortable. And then of course, you know, he again starts to slide basically out of the, out of the cage and off the side of the ring because it wasn't secure there. So I have to think him being in that match is going to go, okay, we need to, to reassess our, our cage uh, protocol here. I'm glad it was different than any other cage we've really seen as far as like the whole setup. I was glad you couldn't really work outside the ring. You know, that's, I feel like you can get a lot of boring stuff that happens outside the ring in a, in a cage match. So this made them do something a little different and uh, it looked cool. It looked like it hurt, you know, when Cody went into it. So I don't know. I thought it was cool. It, this over delivered for me without without question. Yeah, like this easily did. Uh, I did notice that, like when when they described that, I that sounded like the most disgusting thing as a former soccer player about having your shins head up against the steel posts of that. So that's gnarly. But yeah, no, this over delivered like crazy. Like Wardlow again, he was thrown to the sharks in this, and I know that there was going to be a lot of. Uh, there was a lot of benefit doubt, I think, that would been given in this match, but I feel like that he held up his end of the deal, and I thought this match for a promotion that, like, I know, like, everyone talks about WWE, like, having moments, this match had moments that people dreamed of for, like, this, because they're going to take the clip of Cody doing that moonsault, and it's going to be in footage for now for the entirety of this promotion. Like, this this ruled. Yeah, you want you want a real moment? Also, check out their social for the Cody post match promo, where he you know basically starts cr- starts crying, talking about his dad. Unbelievable babyface promo. Uh, check that out. And yeah, I will say to 
to sort of temper, you know, I, I, this was my elite choice of the night, or Cody was, to temper that a little bit. I was going to be pretty happy with this as long as I didn't have fucking stupid escape the cage rules and Cody could win by walking out the door. Like, just the dumbest thing. Ruins the cage match. If they got rid of that, it was going to be a success. And they did. And I loved even when the Mick was ended up, you know, setting up this little spot with R and hitting MJF with the cage. But even when that opened, JR immediately is like, it doesn't matter. He can't walk out and win. I was like, excellent. You know, thank you for uh, emphasizing that. It made, you know, that stipulation made sense when it came into existence. And it just, uh, modern wrestling has long passed the, the need for that stipulation. All right. Well, that was Dynamite for this week. Here's what they filmed for Dark. Jimmy Havoc took on Marco Stunt. Joey Janela and Kip Sabian had a false count anywhere match. Can't wait to watch that one. Dark Order versus Stronghearts. And Dustin Rhodes and QT Marshall took on Peter Avalon and Sean Spears, which apparently today's, or no, not today, but yesterday was Sean Spears' birthday, something like that. So, uh, yes, sorry yes, on Instagram. Yesterday was close friend of the show and my brother's birthday. That's so, right. And HPD I think Drew. And I think earlier this week was Carr's birthday. So, this has been a big week for wow. Elite. The, all Elite Extended Universe and the Everything Elite Extended Universe on birthdays. A lot, a lot of parents getting after it nine months ago. And Mayu. Oh, you beat me to it. Oh, I'm happy birthday to Mayu, of course. Yes. Happy birthday, Mayu, the ace. Okay. Here's what's coming up next week, February 26th in Kansas City, Missouri. Kenny Omega and Pac will have a 30-minute Ironman match. Jurassic Express are going to take on Santana, Ortiz, and Sammy Guevara. And the best friends will take on the Butcher and the Blade. And we're going to have a weigh-in, folks, for the world <laughs> title match. Chris Jericho and Moxley. You got a feeling they're going to work Chris Jericho's weight. Uh, yeah, uh, two things. One, <laughs> this is not. This is an open weight division. What the fuck does having a weigh-in matter? <laughs> and two, Chris Jericho is someone that... Who was I talking with? I was talking with someone last night about how Chris Jericho looks because I know another reason why he probably wasn't wrestling over the last few weeks. His hair looked really great last night, guys. When you saw him, looked like that he maybe uh, visited a, a friend that begins the letter B and ends with Osley. But <laughs> he has his body right now. It rules, but he looks like a lobster. Like he has like a lobster <laughs> shell. Like I'm just like expecting like with the way his muscles are. I'm expecting him to like step up on the step up on the scale and it either be like something ridiculous like Chris Jericho, 170 pounds, or Chris Jericho, 260 pounds. It can't be like 200 pounds. It has to either be incredibly light or incredibly heavy. It has to be one or the other. Yeah, I just, I remember when they were building Cody and Jericho and they had that, the shitty contract signing. And I'm worried that that's what we're about to get. And it's like, wow, you guys didn't learn. You all didn't think that that went poorly last time. So, hey, we'll see. Maybe maybe this will have the God Mega Parek back on. Oh, <laughs> she has to be the she's the she's <laughs> the the Price Waterhouse Cooper of uh, of weigh in amounts. <laughs> she I mean, we have, she we have like a better idea. Right? So obviously their intent here is we want a segment that's not a match that's going to tell the audience you're going to see the guys in the same segment, Chris Jericho and John Moxley. They did the contract signing, but didn't like it. Um, what what's better than a weigh-in? Do we have anything? I, I can't. You know, there are certain they, these get trotted out in every promotion, no demand over over time. 
they could do a rally, you know, a rally. Yeah. I mean, we're in primary season. Do a rally. I mean, imagine <laughs> a town hall. Do a Mo- no, it's make it um, a town hall and it's funnier. Make I, them sit I, on stools and get up and walk around. Uh, <laughs> John Moxley, what's your opinion of having a town halls, uh, weigh-ins and contract signings in professional wrestling? John Moxley, what's your opinion of whether the satanic church created the coronavirus? Did that come up? Is that a thing? Oh, no, that's Jericho's podcast. That's Jericho's podcast. Oh. Yeah. Uh, follow the fucking promotion, Nate. Jesus. Not in the promotion. <laughs> that's third party content. <laughs> yeah. God knows you don't like third party content. <laughs> what is that a reference to? Your whole thing is third party content. Are you kidding me? The vlogs? No, those are part of the promotion. Okay. It's All part right. of the canon. Yeah. It is. It was Excalibur referenced it on the television tonight. They didn't reference Jericho's coronavirus <laughs> podcast. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Here's what we know so far for Revolution. We will, I guess next week, we'll do a, a full-on preview of Revolution on this very podcast. The men's world heavyweight champion, Chris Jericho, defending against John Moxley. The tag team title will be on the line. Kenny Omega and Hangman Page will take on the Young Bucks. Cody versus MJF, Dustin Rhodes versus Jake Hager, the true main event of the <laughs> evening. And presumably, I don't think, I don't know, Mike, you've put this as speculated, but I think Darby versus Sammy is is for sure, isn't it? No, Darby challenged them again during the break, saying, see, uh, take the match. I'll at Revolution, I'll hit you up, and then having a spooky sign. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, that so that's happening at Revolution. Probably, yeah. And presumably Nyla will defend the women's world title. I still think against Yuka Sakazaki, but I guess I guess we'll see. Has anything like come out whatsoever from uh, Tokyo Joshi Pro or from Sakazaki about what she is assumingly doing over this week that she's not going to be on Tokyo Joshi Pro shows? No, but we know that she's not on the 224 Tokyo Joshi Pro show and she's not on the 3-1 show. So yeah. it would only make sense that she's going to be in America. Yeah, and and, I, and she beat Britt Baker. Like I think that's pretty a, a pretty safe uh, uh, guess. That, yeah, and that, that was with the intent of setting her up for a, a challenge. Yeah, and I they mean, might just do a um, they might do a big swole and who was the other one that was out there? Statlander. Statlander. They might do big big swole versus Statlander. I mean, you can just do that. You know, maybe on the buy in, or mm-hmm. God forbid, you do two women's matches on the on the main card. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of ways to go for that. Uh, I They did make a big deal about how Britt said that Yuka was going to be out for months with having to get her molar reset and like that. So I'm, I'm, I'm not meaning to play devil's advocate here. It's just, I just wonder. Uh, I do know for a fact that uh, Strong Hearts won't be at this because they have a show on March 1st that they're promoting themselves. So I'd highly doubt that they break the realm of time and physics to make both the show and then be back in Osaka for action one. I just don't know what the hell else Yuka would be doing. I don't know if her doing other things. She's got uh, more CBS procedurals to appear on. <laughs> that would rule. All right, a few other things. Next week, immediately after Dynamite, there's going to be a one-hour preview called Countdown to Revolution on TNT. The one they did last time was pretty good, so I expect this will also be good. Yeah, sadly, we're not going to get hot ones, which Excalibur has greatly put over on this week's show or another repeat of the longest yard remake or battleship. There was a 
Cody press conference before Dynamite this week. I don't know of – I don't remember anything, like, particularly noteworthy that came out of it. Uh, it I retweeted some live tweets about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was going to say, if you've listened to the show, we've kind of made allusions about this uh, Nightmare Factory or Nightmare oh, Factory right, right, right. school. So, like, other than that, I mean, it seemed like that, like that um, I – if I wasn't busy this week, I would have been on the call. So, my bad oh, yeah. on that. I guess the interesting story – so, yeah, Cody said basically he's running a – wrestling school but it's not AEW isn't running it he's mm -hmm. running it yeah and i guess the interesting thing we've known about this boxer anthony agogo who they're saying you know we're training him there but then he said we're also training sadie gibbs there which is like kind of funny in that she was considered to be like you know a real pro wrestler <laughs> but yeah really they think they need to uh train her up a little well how do i put this uh lightly She's not been doing anything wrestling related, <laughs> pretty much like yeah, like she, for sure. Like, like somebody reached out to me and was like, "Hey, how was she in Stardom?" And I was like, "She worked like two shows, maybe." Mm -hmm. Because if you remember, that was the whole thing that started the the issue with Will Osprey, right? That she left early because her grandfather died, mm -hmm. and so she only ended up working a couple of shows. She was doing like fun dives and stuff, but you didn't really get to get a sense for whether she was any good and I uh, haven't seen her work anywhere since then. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, this is the uh, school that is affiliated with QT Marshall and Glacier. I think it's in Norcross, Georgia. Like there's been a lot of wrestling schools uh, over the last decade in Norcross. I know that uh, uh, Luke Gallows and Anderson had a school there for a little bit, but yeah, I think that this is something that is needed for someone like Sadie Gibbs who, needs the ring time more so than probably anyone else in the promotion to see how she develops and that's good uh anthony gogo i he did like that south side like appearance with mjf where he punched out mjf last year i remember so it's interesting i think that it's smart for them to start putting together some sort of infrastructure especially given the state of where uh at least the greater north american wrestling scene is in not necessarily the same case in lucha libre or in japan but Time to start developing stars. I mean, see what the superstar machine is, as Brian would want to say. Norcross, Georgia, great place for high school basketball, in case you all are wondering. Great program there. Home of Jody Meeks. Austin Aries, speaking of high school basketball, Austin Aries was backstage with Diamond Dallas Page. I, I don't know. I guess when I saw the picture, I was like, is this motherfucker going to show up on TV? But he didn't. Okay, cool. All right, Triple A. Announced that Kenny Omega will defend against Laredo Kid, the uh, the Mega Heavyweight Championship or whatever it's called. The Lucha Brothers are going to take on Desmond Xavier and somebody Zachary wins. wins. Zachary, Zachary wins. wins. You're Zachary so close. Wins. You're so close, AB. I know. Yeah, I was like Pete wins, Carson <laughs> wins, and Michael well, Nakazawa. He's he, he basically doing a Pete wins gimmick. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Let me try. Let me run that back. Lucha Brothers taking on, wait, okay, this, uh, I didn't make the notes, so I have a hard time reading uh, stuff that I don't write because I write things that make no sense. So I think what you're telling me here, Mike. Can we just Luch read off this? You want me to take <laughs> care of this here, Big Cat? <laughs> All right, you don't want to finish the bit? Sure. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. oh, oh, I didn't know we were doing a bit there. I mean, there's it was no becoming bit. a bit. The joke explainer has arrived to say there's not a bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, all right, y'all. So this is the thing we talked about last week. Where 
Uh, they didn't have matches set up, but it's Omega against Laredo Kid. Laredo Kid, first kind of uh, AEW extended universe appearance after his great performance at uh, Fighter Fest. And I think there's like some reason for justification. It's AAA, there's usually not a lot of reason justification for title matches. And then the Rascals and Strong Parts members, Desmond Xavier and uh, and Zachary Wentz, get the title match. And then they, they do this tournament each year, AB, that I think you'll appreciate this. It's called Rey de Reyes, King of Kings. Do you know what the winner gets for winning Rey de Reyes? Uh, Crown of Thorns. <laughs> no. They get a giant fuck-off sword. Oh, that rules. So Michael Nakazawa maybe could win this tournament. It's usually like a battle royal or they do like a gauntlet thing and have to bring back a giant sword into America. Yeah, I would love to see that, actually. I Maybe they'll do a vlog of Michael Nakazawa trying to get the sword back to America. Yeah, he's got to win now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dave the Clown's in the match. He's going to win. All right. Well, I think that's it. You all got anything else you want to talk about? Nothing. Okay, cool. All right, make sure you subscribe to the show. Get these episodes as soon as they come out. Follow us on Twitter at EverythingAEW. I'm at Aaron Like the Car. Nate is at Epitasis. Mike is at Fuji Heya. Give us a rating. Give us a review. Five stars only. And make sure you check out patreon.com slash everything elite. Remember that if you subscribe now, you'll be charged when you subscribe and on the first of the month. So if you want to wait till the first of the month, I don't blame you. But as soon as you subscribe, you get everything we've ever created. So you'll get a month's worth of several months worth of content. It's uh, it's worth your worth your subscription. So that's it. For Mike, for Nate, I'm Aaron. We'll see you next week. The Taz is with me. We're going to call the rest of dark tonight. The Taz is with me. Yes, he is. Yes. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> we'll figure it out. Here we go. We got time to workshop it. We're a little Dude, that was some match. Oh, man. Moonsault was good finish. The whole thing that was fucking, great. That tag before it, like, dude, that's, that's the only that thing they could have followed it with. The tag match was great, man. Here's to getting back together. To planned lunches and unplanned cookouts. To grandma's recipes and smells that take us back to passing down plates and traditions. Here's to warm embraces and familiar faces, to your best friends becoming best friends, to scheming, dreaming, and food still steaming. Here's to laughter and love, to growing closer than ever. For all of life's get-togethers, Chinette, here's to us.